right, if you have your Bible today, then please take it. Maybe you already took it and turned to the prayer passage, but we're going to be now in Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 30 through 33 today. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one of the black Bibles that's on the end of each pew. And that Bible should be on page 950, 950. And let's read these verses. Romans 15, verses 30 through 33. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. This uh, passage is a prayer request, and it's going to teach us a lot about prayer. As I was thinking of this, I thought of a, uh, a story that I might have told you before, and if that's the case, I'll just tell you what I told my kids yesterday, because I told them something yesterday, and then Isaac turned to me and said, Dad, you already told us that. Or maybe Ben said it, and then Isaac said it, and I, I'll tell you what I told them, which is there's just only so many things I can say. So if you've heard this before, that's why. In 1784, there was a pastor of a small Calvinistic Baptist church in rural England, whose name was John Sutcliffe, and he was part, or his church was part of the Northamptonshire Baptist Association, a small little association of Calvinistic Baptist churches there uh, out, out in a rural area. And at one of those meetings of the Baptist Association, John Sutcliffe made the suggestion that they should start setting aside one hour on the first Monday evening of every month, and they said that this was going to be, quote, for extraordinary prayer, for revival of religion, and for the extending of Christ's kingdom in the world. And out of that monthly prayer meeting that John Sutcliffe suggested uh, grew what we now call the modern missions movement. It, it was out of that that push for prayer that these churches uh, were, were kind of moved to start this organization called the Baptist Missionary Society that then sent a man who was one of those pastors in that association named William Carey to be their first missionary uh, to India. And that was the launch of the modern missions movement that's still going on today. As, as we have our missionaries that we sponsor and have on our prayer list on a regular basis, they're still kind of part of this big movement that started then in the late 1700s out of that little bitty Baptist association after John Sutcliffe said, we should start praying. About 30 years after he made that suggestion, he was dying, and as John Sutcliffe was on his, his deathbed, uh, Andrew Fuller, another one of those pastors who ended up heading the Baptist Missionary Society, he, he came and he visited with John Sutcliffe, and heard some of Sutcliffe's last words before he died. And here's what they were. I wish I had prayed more. It's a very interesting thing, isn't it? This, this guy who helped launch the modern missions movement with his prayers and his encouragement for others to pray said, I didn't pray enough. My prayer life was insufficient. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never, to my knowledge, met a Christian who feels like their prayer life has written, li risen to a level where they don't need to work on it anymore. 
We probably all know brothers and sisters in Christ who get up at 5 o'clock every morning or thereabouts to, to be in the Bible and in prayer. And if you say, well, I don't know anybody like that, you need, to, you need to start making better friends with the people around you in the pews. I know a brother in Christ who gets up at 4 o'clock every morning to read the Bible and pray. I know another brother in Christ who just recently told me when I asked him kind of about his habits and how it is that he's so effective in, uh, in what he does, he told me that he gets up at 3 o'clock every morning. And that's when he begins his time in the Word and in prayer. And we could probably keep going, and, and some of us hear those stories and we think, all is lost. I can never be one of those people. But the funny thing is that none of those people even think that they have arrived when it comes to their prayer lives. And so I think we all have room to grow in prayer, both in the discipline of doing it and in the way that we do it. As I said already, this passage that we just read is a prayer request, but it's also something that's going to teach us how to pray and something about the importance of prayer. Just the the context of where we are, if you've been around, you may know this or you may have forgotten since last week, but toward the end of the book of Romans, this this letter being, uh, or this, this book of Romans being a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church that was in Rome, what he's doing is he's telling them some of his travel plans. After he's expounded these great doctrines of the faith, He says, and I want to come to you, and here's where I'm going to go, and here's what I'm going to do. And this is all part of the Word of God. And what he's just told them in the verses that came before this is that his intention is to take the collection that he's been taking from all of these Gentile churches and to bring it back to Jerusalem, this monetary offering that these these Gentile believers have given. And he wants to give this money to uh, to the poor believing Jews in Jerusalem. Those who uh, are from the, the Jewish background who essentially have lost everything that they had because that's what it cost them to follow Christ. And they, they are poor and he has such a heart to do this and so he's taking that offering. And this prayer request that he's about to bring is, is part of his prayer for that. He's telling them, I'm going to go into this dangerous place, Jerusalem. It was dangerous for Christians at that time. And I'm going to bring this offering to those who have lost everything for following Christ. And I need you to pray with me that God would cause this to go well. That's kind of what the prayer is in general here. But let's dig into it and let's see how is it that we can see something about prayer, something about the importance of it, the discipline of it, the necessity of it, how to do it. Starting in verse 30, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. You see here, he starts with an appeal. Another way to put this would be, please pray for me. Please pray for me. I appeal to you to pray for me. This is something of a command, because this is here in God's Spirit-breathed Word, this appeal to pray. Now, there's, there's not going to be the direct application. We're, we're no longer in a position to pray for Paul that his journey would be successful, because that happened a long time ago. But God breathed these words out for us on purpose, too, as a command that we also should be appealed to, you and me, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we need to pray. 
and that we need to pray for those who are doing the work of God. Now, aren't we all doing the work of God? I hope so. Yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. But there's, there is a command that's kind of built into this. Pray. Pray for each other. And especially here, it's, it's showing pray for those who are, uh, who are delivering the word of God, who are going into dangerous situations. Just pray. So there's a command, pray for people. There's also an example here that you can ask people for prayer. This is a good thing. It's God-honoring when you ask other people to pray for you. Paul is doing it. Paul is strong in his faith. But Paul wasn't going to say, well, I'm strong in my faith, and so my own prayers are fine. And I know that people are praying for me, and so I'll just let it be kind of general and cover whatever's going on. No, Paul says, hey, please pray for me, and here is what you can pray for. That is a great example for us to follow. Maybe put a pin in that, because I'm going to come back to it in just a minute as well. But how does he say that they should pray? And I think that's what's happening here when he says, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. I think he's describing, before he says, to do the praying, he's saying, here's how you need to do the praying, is in two aspects. Two aspects of the manner in which we are to pray, they were to pray. There's the vertical aspect, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and the horizontal aspect, by this love that the Holy Spirit gives us. So the first thing he says is that we're to pray by our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're going to come to God in prayer because of Jesus. That we're going to pray, as Jesus put it, in my name. You ever wonder, why do we say at the end of so many prayers, why do we say in Jesus' name? Well, it's because Jesus taught us to pray in his name. And when we say that, we're not just trying to throw out some kind of a formula like this is a nice way to end a prayer. We need to be acknowledging this in our hearts from the very beginning of the prayer, that the only reason that we have a right to come before God in the first place in our prayers is because of what Jesus has accomplished and because Jesus is our Redeemer and because we've been united to Jesus by faith. You can't simply walk up to God and say, Hey, God, here's what I need. God is holy. God is a consuming fire. And it's only by the blood of Jesus that we have any right to approach him and to bring our requests. That's the first thing that it means to pray in Jesus' name, is that we need to come to God by faith in Jesus so that our prayers can be heard and accepted. As, as John Gill put it, that this praying by our Lord Jesus is pleading the merits of his blood and righteousness and sacrifice. I want to tell you, you can't truly pray unless you are a Christian. And when I say are a Christian, I don't mean that your parents were Christians and they sprinkled you as a baby or something like that. I mean you need to be united to Christ by faith. You must be born again, as Jesus put it. You must be someone who has repented, who believes in the Lord Jesus in order to approach God in prayer. You can't truly pray unless you are united to Christ by faith. Why not? Well, because the Old Testament says that your sin has made a separation between you and God so that God does not hear. 
not that God cannot hear, but he is under no obligation to hear a prayer offered by someone who is not offering it by faith in Jesus Christ. You sometimes hear people say that the reason why they don't really need the gospel that we're telling them, the reason why they don't really need to repent and believe in Christ, is because they would say, well, I already have a very close relationship with God. I pray all the time. I don't know how many times I've heard people say that as a reason to reject the gospel. I already pray all the time. Well, the Bible says he doesn't hear The Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God even by praying all the time. The the Bible says that if if you come to God without being willing to hear and and, uh, submit to his word, that even your prayers are an abomination, it says in the Old Testament. It it says in Psalms that if, uh, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, if I had held on to my sin rather than repenting, you would not have listened to my prayer. It says this over and over and over. So this is one aspect of what it means when we say, I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ to pray. And one aspect of what it means when Jesus says, if you ask anything in, in the Father of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. When he says, pray in my name, the first and foremost start, starting point here is you need to have faith in Jesus. You need to repent. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ you need to be saved. You need to know that He and He alone is our one mediator between God and man. He is the only way that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can approach God and be clothed in His righteousness and have Him hear us and be for us and not against us as we pray. We have to come pleading the merits of His blood and righteousness and sacrifice. So, trust in Jesus. I want to say, if you are not in Christ today, no matter how many times you have prayed, no matter how great you felt psychologically about the effect of prayer on you, you are, have absolutely no right to come to God in prayer apart from faith in Jesus Christ. But if you will come to Him by faith in Jesus Christ, oh, He loves that. You know what one of the best prayers in the Bible is? that was accepted by God is this prayer that Jesus recounts of of a man praying in the temple who is a well-known sinner who says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He had faith. He was coming in Christ, and he was heard, and he walked away justified that day. So if you're going to pray, which I hope you are, your starting point has to be faith in Jesus Christ. Now for us who are in Christ, who have faith in Jesus, this teaches us something also about how we should continually go about our prayer. It needs to continually be by our Lord Jesus Christ. It needs to be in Jesus' name. What does that mean? Well, it means that we need to come to God praying things with confidence that we're asking things that are honoring to Christ and asking things that are according to to God's revealed will in the Scriptures. Things that are things that Jesus himself could ask. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. You know, sometimes my kids ask me things in their mother's name. Sometimes there may be a conversation, we've probably had this conversation a hundred times. Dad, can we have more screen time? Say, no, it's it's, it's time for it to be over. You You know what one of the best comebacks to that is? 
Mom said that we could have more screen time today. So can we? And boy, they know where to get me. Did she say that? They're asking in mom's name. It, it actually kind of pushes me. They know that. Now, when we say we're going to pray in Jesus' name, that's not like a manipulation thing for God. Like, oh, God, can I have a Lamborghini? No, well, how about in Jesus' name? That's not what this means. <laughs> what it means is we're saying, hey, I want to approach God in such a way that I can say, what I'm praying are things that I'm confident that Jesus would be pleased for me to be praying. That doesn't mean that he's always going to uh, answer in, in a way that we expect. But, but it does mean that we, it, when we come and saying these things and saying, this, this, is, this is something that I could, I could really easily say, Jesus would pray this kind of thing. Jesus would want this kind of thing done. I can look in the life uh, uh, the, the earthly ministry of Jesus and see that this is the kind of thing that he liked to grant people. Uh, I, I, can, I can look in the teachings that are breathed out by the Spirit of Christ in the Scriptures and say, hey, this is something that would be honoring to him. Even as we come just praising God, to say, I want to praise you in a way that accords with Christ. In our adoration, in our confession, in our thanksgiving, in our supplications, our prayer requests, all of it needs to be by our Lord Jesus Christ. And here in particular, he's asking for prayer by the Lord Jesus Christ, that is prayer, Paul asking for prayer for himself. This is, as, as we come and as we pray for other people, there's a horizontal aspect to it too, and that's the next thing he says. By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. By the love of the Spirit. Now when you see something like that, the love of the Spirit or the love of God, in the scriptures, it could mean various things, kind of depending on the context. You know, is, is this the way that the Spirit has loved us? Is it the way that we love the Spirit? Or is it the love that the Spirit gives us? And just in the context here, I think that's what it's talking about. He's saying, I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to pray by Jesus, and I want you to pray with this love that the Holy Spirit gives us. This, this love that the Holy Spirit has poured out in our hearts, as he said earlier in Romans, is a love that then overflows to God and overflows to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to other people as well. And he's saying, I want you in your prayers for me to pray with Holy Spirit-given love. And so as we pray for people, that's something that we can keep in mind. Uh, occasionally, I think what we're tempted to do as Christians when somebody says, pray for me, depending on the circumstance, we may say, well, this person that I don't like wants prayer, and so I'm going to pray that God would make them be different so I could like them more. Um, no, he's saying pray by the love of the Spirit. Pray by the love of the Spirit. If you want to know what that kind of prayer looks like, then, then just think about that a little bit as, as you see the first point on our prayer list every week. Because every, every week we have as the first point on our prayer list scriptural prayers that are in the Bible, that are prayers that are prayed for other believers. And they are just prayers of love. So many of them are just prayers of thanksgiving. Right? Even prayers of thanksgiving where the church that's being prayed for <clears throat> is about to be told in the rest of the letter about all kinds of problems that they have going on. 
But yet they're prayers of love and they're prayers of thanksgiving and they are prayers of, of acknowledging we are on the same side in Jesus Christ and I want what is good for this person, this brother, this sister in Christ. Prayer by the love of the Spirit. Love is stirred up in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and it needs to overflow in our prayers, that love for one another. And it says, what do we do? Well, striving together in prayer. So he said, here's how you should pray, by Christ and by the love of the Holy Spirit. But now what do I want you to do? I want you to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That striving together language, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a wrestling term. It's kind of a war term, a battle term. It's saying, hey, I want you to get on the same side with me in this fight. I want you to use your prayers in such a way that we are going to be armed for the spiritual battle that we're facing. I want you to do battle with me in our prayers. Well, what can we do there? Well, we can be prayer warriors. I remember a number of years ago, there was this, this just wonderful Christian lady who had come to a place in her life where she couldn't serve the church anymore in, in ways that she had in the past. She, she wasn't any longer going to be able to, to show up for work days and, and to do this kind of task and to, to do administrative work here and there and, and, and was just kind of feeling down about that. And, and, and I kind of brought up to her, you know what you can do? You, you can be a prayer warrior. Even if you can't get out of your house, you can be effective for the kingdom of God by taking up arms in prayer. And you know what she did? She did it. And she became one of the greatest prayer warriors that I've ever known. And just very, very seriously working through her Bible and praying for people and working through the prayer list for the church every week and taking it very seriously and praying for people. And what we need to do is say, you know what, we don't, we don't have to wait until we can't do anything else because this is actually the most important thing we can do. Sometimes people say, well, prayer, all we can do is pray. Well, the first most important thing we can do is pray. Strive together with me in your prayers. I want to say something to, to our men in particular for a second. I, I love the attitude of serious Christian men that we seriously want to do battle for Christ in this world. When I say battle for Christ in this world, I don't mean it in the way that the Muslim jihadists mean it. What I mean is that, that we see, hey, we want to make a difference in this world. We want to take strongholds for Christ by overcoming uh, all of these arguments against him. We, we want to see uh, the institutions of our families built up in Christ, the institution of the church, the institution of government, all kinds of things. We, we want to see um, things brought under the lordship of Christ in all kinds of realms, and we want to grow beards while we do it. So I can't do that, but some of you guys can, all right? I love that attitude, but I want to tell you, if you have that attitude, we want to be manly for Christ, but you are not a prayer warrior, I don't believe you. I just don't believe you. If you say that you want to take strongholds for Christ, you want to stand up 
as a manly man in the kingdom of Christ, but you are not regularly on your knees seeking the power of God for the progress of the kingdom and for the good of others in this world. If that's not the case, then you are not serious about being a soldier for Christ in this world. But here's what he says, I appeal to you to do this. Do it. Okay? Some of you probably to yourselves, you just said, oh, that was a gut punch. Don't walk away and say that the gut punch was enough. Hear the word of Christ and obey it. We, we need to strive together in our prayers for, for this great purpose of the progress of the gospel in the world and the kingdom advancement. Uh, just from verse 30, I, I want to bring out a few things that we should do, all of us should do, not just men, all of us. One thing you should do is you should pray. I don't know if you caught that yet or not, okay? <laughs> you and I should pray. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 5, before he's about to give the Lord's Prayer and give various other instructions about prayer, he says, when you pray. You know what's built into that? You've got to pray. You can't do the when you pray if you're not praying. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And that's not an excuse to say, okay, well, I never have to have a, a, you know, set apart time for prayer in my life because I'm going to pray without ceasing. No, that's, that, that means we ought to be praying all the time no matter what we do and continually seeking to set aside explicit, devoted time for prayer, usually with our Bibles open, driving that prayer. So when you pray, we need to pray. A second thing is, pray alone. Pray alone. You and I need to have time alone with the Lord where it's just us and God, just you and God praying. Jesus said so in Matthew 6, 6. He said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Another thing we need to do, though, is we need to pray with others. We need to pray with others. Why? Why? Well, it, the Bible gives us these commands, gives us these examples. You see, the, the church in Jerusalem in Acts, in Acts 4.31, it says, when they had prayed. You know what they were doing? They were gathering together and they were praying. They made this a priority, not just to pray alone in their prayer closets, but also to gather together for this concentrated prayer together, where they are striving together in their prayers, as it says in verse 30. And it says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Maybe you could come Wednesday night at 7, and we could shake the chapel building. How does that sound? We can pray with others. We can pray for others. The Baptist Catechism says about this, the, these words, Our Father, at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, what it says is that the Lord's Prayer teaches us that we should pray with and for others. Because He's not just my Father. He's not just your Father. He is our Father. And so Jesus taught us to pray not just alone, but also together and for each other. We can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, because that's what's being taught here in this verse, Romans 15.30, is that, hey, I, I, Paul is saying, I'm on a mission for Christ, and I need your prayers. I need you to strive together with me in prayer. You need to pray especially for the people that you know 
need your prayers. Uh, pray, pray for those that you see on the prayer list. Pray for those who are laboring for the gospel, like pastors. And not just me, but other pastors as well. You can pray for missionaries. And you can pray for other people that God would put on your heart. You can pray, as we're going to see in verse 33, even for our brothers and sisters in Christ when we don't have any prayer requests. We'll get there in a minute. But one more thing, and I said we would put a pin in this and come back to it. Don't be so private that you deprive your brothers and sisters in Christ of the opportunity to pray for you. I, I think that sometimes there is a pride that veils itself as humility, a false pride or false humility that would say, I'm, I'm no big deal. I won't let anybody know what's going on with me. I'm not that important. When really what it means is I just I don't want attention on me. I, I just don't want anybody to think about what's going on with me. Well, Paul, if, as I said, if anybody could have just said, well, my own prayers are enough, well, why not Paul? But he said, no, I appeal to you. Please, please, please pray for me. Pray. I need this prayer. I want you to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And we can ask for those same kinds of things. We can, we can follow the example that's here in Scripture and be willing to tell each other, especially our church family, what's going on that we need prayer about. It, it is a good and God-honoring thing. Don't deprive your brothers and sisters in Christ the opportunity to pray for you, and don't deprive them of the opportunity to praise God when He answers those prayers. Here's what Paul says about it in 2 Corinthians 1.11, another place where he asks for prayer. He says, you also must help us by prayer. What does he say is the reason? So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You see what's happening there? When we're willing to tell others, here's something that I need you to pray for me about, rather than just having that false humility or claiming just to be a private person, when we're willing to do that, we give the opportunity for many to give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 31, we have some specific requests that Paul asks for prayer for. So let's move there. Let's look at those, prayer for, those prayers for specific requests. Here they are. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So two prayer requests here. One is a, a prayer for deliverance from evil, and the other one is a prayer for uh, acceptable service, or for the success of the mission that he's on. This prayer for deliverance from evil is specifically that I may be delivered from the unbelievers, or another way to translate that word would be the disobedient in Judea. Well, who is that talking about? Well, it's talking about the people who are still doing the same stuff that Paul was doing back before he was saved. It's talking about the people who are still there claiming to be zealous for God, but in their zeal seeking to destroy the church of Jesus Christ, seeking to strike down the gospel, those who were the persecutors of the Christians in Jerusalem. And he says, pray, strive with me in prayer that I may be delivered from these Enemies of Christ, essentially, is what he's saying. This is a, uh, a, a common thing that you see throughout the Bible. 
and continuing through today is that, that those who are disobedient to God tend to oppose those who have a heart for being faithful to God. That happens in various ways and to various degrees, but it happens all over the place. It happens in politics, it happens in culture, it happens in neighborhoods, it happens in workplaces, it happens in families. Sometimes it even happens in churches. And it's not always right for us in those situations to just say, okay, there's, there is danger over here, I'm going to just barrel right into it. But sometimes it's a good and necessary thing. And that's the situation that, that Paul had found himself in. Is hey, there are those who are blatantly opposed to the gospel and are very excited about persecuting Christians who are in Jerusalem, but I am going there. I am going there on a mission for Christ, and I know that there is danger to me there. But Lord, please help me, and brothers and sisters in Christ, please strive together with me in prayer that I may be delivered from them. Now, in some senses, this is what's called an imprecatory prayer. An imprecatory prayer is something, it's a prayer that is prayed against enemies. Now, we can, when, if you are a student of the Psalms, then you know that the Psalms have a lot of these imprecatory prayers. In fact, we read a Psalm like that, or Dave read for us a Psalm like that this morning, where there were prayers that, that God's enemies and David's enemies would be struck down and destroyed. And, and we read those, and we sometimes wonder how to take them, and we can always, always pray those against Satan because he is our chief enemy. He and his demons are the principalities and powers that, that we war against spiritually. But we also know that uh, between now and when Christ returns, that there are those who are living in this world who are in league with Satan, and they wouldn't put it that way, and they would be offended that I would say that, but that's how Jesus put it. The, who, who are opposing the purposes of God, and sometimes we need to pray that their purposes would be stopped. And that's what Paul is saying, please pray this. Please pray that the evil purposes of these unbelieving persecutors in Judea would be stopped. Now, how are some of the ways that God could answer a prayer like that? For God to stop those who are opposing the gospel... Well, one is that God could strike them dead. And he did that with King Herod. As, as King Herod, when the book of Acts, stood up and, and was opposing Christ and was even accepting worship, well, God struck him down and he was eaten by worms, is the way that it's put. He fell down and, and died of this God-given ailment. Another way that God could end those enemies' plans is that he could frustrate those enemies' plans. He could say, well, whatever purpose they had, I'm going to just make sure that it doesn't come to fruition. Another way that God could grant deliverance from enemies is that God could change the evil enemies' hearts. And that's one of the things that we could pray for. That is how... That's what God has done for you and me, believers in Jesus Christ. We were God's enemies, according to Romans 5. We were lost in our sin, we were enemies of God, but he has loved us and adopted us as his children by faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that, that's what God did with Paul. When Paul was an enemy of Christ, and there were probably quite a few Christians who were praying, God, please stop Paul. And God did stop Paul, but do you know how? By saving him. 
by turning him from being an enemy to being a son. And so we can pray that God would end those evil purposes in the world, that God would stop the persecution against Christians in, in places like North Korea or Kazakhstan or various other places that we see on our prayer list all the time. But we can pray that God would do that not just by you know, striking people dead, as he may choose to do, but also by turning them to be his children. Paul was once among those evil men, and God answers prayers by overcoming those evil purposes. But he says, please pray that I be delivered. The other thing he says is, is, is so that, or um, please pray that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Now this is a strange thing, where he's, he's just told them in the verses before this, where we were last week, I'm taking this big monetary offering to the people in Jerusalem who really need money because, because they lost everything for following Christ. But now he's saying, please pray that they will accept it. Please pray that this will be acceptable to them. Why would, that, why would he need that prayer? Wouldn't, wouldn't they just obviously accept it? Well, the thing is, they are, uh, they are being offered as Jewish Christians in a place where Christianity is very much opposed and where there's all kinds of rumors going around about Christians you know, wanting to strike down the whole Old Testament or get rid of the whole uh, Mosaic law or, or just throw out everything that ever came before, all kinds of rumors going around and being spread uh, by those who oppose Christ. Uh, there, there's this temptation that could be there to say, you know what, thanks but no thanks because I don't want people to know that I took this money. You know, Paul, you are well known as going all around the known world and telling people that they can be right with God apart from circumcision simply by faith in Christ without becoming Jewish. And, and there's these accusations that, that this money is coming from people who, who totally reject everything that God ever did through Moses. And, and you know what? We just don't want the trouble that might come from taking this. You know, one of the classic attacks that can come on a politician uh, that politicians can, can bring against each other is, well, you accepted money from fill-in-the-blank, right? And occasionally it's even so embarrassing that those politicians might give that money back when they say, oh yeah, we did accept money from that guy and that's not good and we're going to give it back. Well, that's the kind of thing that Paul is saying, please pray that they'll accept this that they won't be worried about any potential trouble that's going to be stirred up for it getting around that they, this Gentile offering was collected and delivered by Paul and accepted here. So, so there's a prayer that, that God would deliver them from the unbelievers, a prayer that it would be acceptable to the saints. Now, both of those prayers were answered. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I just want to note here really quickly, sometimes people speak of prayer as though the only real effect that prayer could have is on the person praying. That's not true. Prayer does have a real effect on the person praying. If you don't know that, then you're not a praying person. Prayer is so, so good for us when we pray. It does these things in our hearts that are just good. When we come by faith in Jesus, 
praying in Jesus' name, uh, you know, seeking to adore Christ in prayer and confess our sins and, and give thanksgiving to Him for all that He's given to us and then lifting up our requests to God, believing that, that He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine. Like that, that it actually does help conform our own hearts more and more into the image of Christ as we pray. That's true. But the problem is that there are so many people who will speak of prayer as though it is just purely a private thing that has no effect outside of the heart of the person praying. If that were the case, then verse 31 makes no sense. If, it, if prayer only has to do with people's hearts being changed as they pray, then why would he say, please pray for me and strive together with me in prayer that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, which is even a prayer that God would affect other people's hearts who, have, who are not involved in that prayer. Well, the reason is because prayer actually really is something that God uses to fulfill His purposes in the world. Prayer is not something where God has one plan, and then He hears your prayers, and then He changes His plan. God's plans were set from before the foundation of the world. But here's the thing. Part of God's plan is that you would pray and that he would answer. That's been part of his plan all along. Back in, in Exodus, when God had, had threatened that he had the right to destroy the people as they were out in the wilderness because of the rebellion that they had committed against him over and over, and he told Moses about this, that, that he could destroy these people and make a new nation out of Moses, you know what was built in all along? is that God didn't have to warn Moses about that. God could have just done it without saying anything to Moses. But God was saying it to Moses in order to stir up Moses' prayer, in order to answer Moses' prayer, where Moses would pray, Please, Lord, for the sake of your name and for the glory of your name among the nations who have heard that you brought this people out of Egypt, please deliver this people for your name's sake. And the Lord answered that prayer. It was his plan all along to do it, but he used prayer to do it. So here's the thing. When we pray, we pray expecting that God will use our prayers actually in the world as part of his purposes. We're not overcoming God's sovereignty. We are getting on board with serving him in his sovereign plan because part of how he's going to do what he's going to do for his glory is that he's going to answer our prayers. I'm not going to ask if that makes sense, because it does. Okay. So, don't think to yourself, well, prayer is just about me. No, we are actually doing battle. We are striving together for the purposes of God in this world in our prayers. And it is prayer with good outcomes, or prayer for good outcomes, in God's will. Look at verse, uh, verse 32. So he says, uh, here's what I hope will be the result of all of these prayers. Essentially, that's, that's what he's saying. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So he's already told them how he wants that to happen, that he wants to go to, to Jerusalem first to deliver this, uh, this offering for the saints. And then after he's gone to Jerusalem, he hopes to come back and visit with them in Rome and for Rome to be a stopover and even a fundraising point uh, on his way where he wants to go all the way to Spain on his church planting and missionary journey that he, he hopes to accomplish there. He, he said, you know, I, I pray that through these prayers and, and through your prayers 
that I can, I can be successful in what I'm doing in Jerusalem, be protected, deliver this offering, have it accepted, and that then I can come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now what's interesting is that, that God answered these prayers. And he answered them, as we said last time, in ways that were not expected. Probably not exactly what was in mind in Paul's plans for these things, and yet he, he did it. One of the first initial answers that God gave to these prayers that Rome, the, the church in Rome and others were offering up for Paul is that God started giving prophecies by the Holy Spirit to Paul about what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem. It, it says in Acts 21.4, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem, which is an interesting thing. Almost makes it sound like the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go to Jerusalem. But in fact, what's happening is that these people are prophesying that by the Holy Spirit, they are prophesying that there would be difficulty for Paul in Jerusalem. And then they're saying, we don't think you should go. But it's not like it is in other places where, where Paul actually says in some places, the Holy Spirit prevented us from going to Asia or wherever else. No, it's just that there's spirit-giving warnings that are coming. There's tough things coming. One of those who, who gave one of these prophecies was in Acts 21.10. It says, A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus, the, thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. You hear that? At the end of that, even though he's been told, there is difficulty and there, is, there are chains, there's binding that's waiting for you in Jerusalem, they say, let the will of the Lord be done. And look back at Romans 15, verse 32, so that by God's will, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. This is how God did it. God did it by his will. God answered the prayers such that Paul did not die in Jerusalem. He was delivered in that sense. He didn't die there. He was arrested and, and his life was preserved because he was a Roman citizen. And he went to prison for a couple of years. And he ended up going to Rome in a prison ship. And he ended up visiting with the Roman Christians as he was in house arrest and as they were coming to him. And in that, he got to have joy. As he wrote one of the greatest letters about joy ever written, the book of Philippians, from that prison cell, that house arrest, where he was being greeted and refreshed, God answered this prayer. He came to them with joy and was refreshed in their company. But do you know how he did it? By God's will, in God's way. God doesn't always answer our prayers quite in the way that we expect, does he? But he does it by his will. And we say, the will of the Lord be done. Paul also had granted that the gift would be accepted. And, uh, or excuse me, Paul prayed that. God granted it. That's in Acts 21, 17. He got to Jerusalem, and they accepted it. That one was granted outright, and we praise God for that. It's an answer to prayer. God's going to do this in his will. And then Paul ends this up with a prayer for the people praying. 
Verse 33, he says, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The God of peace reminds me a little bit of where we were at the Christmas season when we talked about how Jesus came as Prince of Peace. Jesus is the one who brought us peace. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the one who makes it so that we can have peace with God. It says back in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a prayer for those who already have peace with God, to have the God of peace with them, and something of a prayer that the peace, the shalom, the well-being that God can bring in Jesus Christ would spread throughout their lives, that they would know and experience the presence of God. And he says, amen to that. This is a reminder that we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ even when we don't have specific prayer requests for them. That is the reason for the first item on your prayer list every week, this, these scriptural prayers for fellow believers. They are such a great example. So often we, we, can, we can say, well, who am I going to pray for? Well, who has something terrible happening in their lives? Please do pray for the people with terrible things happening in their lives. They really need it. And you know who else needs your prayers desperately? Your brothers and sisters in Christ whose lives seem just perfectly normal right now. Because we, for one thing, we don't know what's going on. We, we don't know where their hearts are. We don't see into their homes. We, we, we don't have any idea, not just about that, but also about what God may have coming down the road. And, and we also, even if what's coming down the road is, is easy and refreshing, we don't want that to be something where they would then be lulled into spiritual apathy because things are so easy and refreshing. And we also don't want to forget the joy that we have because of them. We don't want to forget to thank God for them. You can always pray a prayer of thanksgiving for your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you want a great example of that, you can go to 1 Corinthians 1 and read kind of the first couple of paragraphs of 1 Corinthians 1. And that is a, it's the beginning of a letter where Paul's going to really rip into these people. Here's all the stuff you've got going wrong. But you know how he starts it? A genuine prayer of love and thanksgiving for them, saying God has redeemed you and he has gifted you and he has called you and he's made us together in Christ for, for his glory. And just a prayer of thanksgiving, just, just one example there. But we can always take these prayers that are in the New Testament for each other and we can pray things and we can even pray this one. Maybe you could just write this one down. If you don't know what to pray, for your brother or your sister in Christ, you could pray, may the God of peace be with him. Amen. And we can pray for each other. But look at that. The guy who's asking for prayers says, I'm going to pray for you, and here's one prayer for you right now. So what do we do? We pray. We should pray. We should pray with each other. We should pray for each other. We should pray through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we should pray by the love of the Spirit that he's given us for each other. Let's pray now. God, I thank you for this passage. I pray that you would make us a praying people. Uh, Lord, we love at this church, we love the doctrine of your sovereignty over all things. And God, how great 
a privilege it is for us to be able to approach you, the God who is sovereign over all things, and to bring you our requests by faith in Jesus and in his name, knowing that you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine. Father, I I pray that for each Christian here, that where our prayer lives are lacking and where we feel that, uh, Lord, would would you grant us Uh, obedience, where there are things that we could simply reprioritize. Would you grant us uh, the the love for you to do that uh, so that prayer is a priority in our lives? God, would you make prayer a greater priority in our church? Uh, Lord, for, for those who have had it on their conscience that maybe they need to be here at our dedicated prayer meeting, I pray that you would grant them the joy of being here uh, and and rejoicing in the prayers that you've given in the Psalms and through the, the, the hearts and the mouths of the other saints who are gathered there. God, I pray for, for those right now who are in situations kind of like Paul's, uh, people who are, are seeking to, to go and, and to do your work in dangerous places and, and hoping to be delivered, who are faithful even when it means uh, potential danger. God, I pray that you would deliver them, that you would help them. God, in particular, we, we think of, of uh, missionaries that we pray for regularly, that, that this church supports, who are in dangerous places. Uh, Lord, whether it's, it's danger from, uh, from nature or, or danger from unbelievers who would be zealous to destroy the church of God, God, we pray for your protection and we pray that their service would be acceptable to those that they've come to serve and acceptable in your sight. God, I pray also that you would take each one of us in the situations that we're in and that you'd watch over us and help us, and God, help us to be watchful in, in not just our own lives, but in praying for each other. Lord, would you grant that to overflow uh, from the love that the Holy Spirit has poured into our hearts. God, I pray above all, that you would grant us to pray in Jesus' name, that you would grant us to come to you by our Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone for our salvation, in his finished sacrifice to pay for our sins, in his righteousness to be our righteousness. And Lord, if there are those who are outside of Christ, I pray that you would not let them think that they are right with you just because they pray. But God, let them be right with you by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.